So as we begin our time, I want to ask you a question. When have you felt the dirtiest? When have you just felt like you've been covered head to toe in filth and grime? And that all you could think about was, I need to get to a shower. I need to get clean. And so a few years back, uh, I'm originally from, uh, from Texas. A few years back, my wife and I bought our first starter home in Richardson, Texas. And uh, we really could barely afford to be buying in the first place. And so all we could afford was an ugly, dumpy house. It was kind of a fixer-upper, right? Um, it had good structure and a good layout, but when I say everything was ugly in this house, I mean literally everything. The walls were covered with what looked like denim wallpaper. It was so thick, when I was pulling it off, I could climb up it. It was so strong. It was nasty. And right when you walked in the door, what welcomed you into our home were these Pepto-Bismol colored tiles. Why that was ever cool or thought to be cool, I have no idea. But the first thing that, uh, I, I didn't want the first impression that you had when you walked in my house to be Pepto-Bismol. I mean, that's a bad first impression, and so the tiles had to go. And so I popped all of those off. It was about 800 square feet of tile. I'm fairly handy, and you can learn about almost anything on YouTube. And so I uh, had never done that before, and so we started popping up um, all those tile. And then what was left was this um, mastic. You know what mastic is? It's like a really strong adhesive that keeps the tile to, uh, to the floor. And so I start getting down. I'm chiseling. I'm trying to get that thing off. And they layered this on thick, probably thicker than they need to. I guess they didn't want anybody ever getting rid of these tiles. And so man, I'm just going at it, going at it, and nothing is working. And so I go up to Home Depot, and I'm like, I'm stuck. I got to get all this stuff off. I've got to get new floor in, and the time's ticking. You know what I mean? And I've only got so many days before the family moves in, and I've got to have a floor for them to live on. And so the guy's like, here's what you need to do. You need to rent one of our floor buffers and put this, uh, this diamond-studded uh, uh, brush on there, and it will polish it all the way down uh, to, to normal. And so I'm like, oh, okay. And so you've seen those, like janitors, they have those like, big floor sanders, but instead of a nice fluffy bottom, I've got a diamond-studded like, sandpaper, basically, attached to the bottom. And so I just go after it, and I am taking it to town on this floor. Um, I should have watched a YouTube video because uh, they say to spray it down so that the dust doesn't get everywhere. I skipped that step. And so as I'm um, pulverizing this mastic, it is just uh, uh, vaporizing into the air, and it's going everywhere. Um, I guarantee you the people who own our house now, there's still some of that dust in that house, right? And so I'm just going to town with this thing. Eight hours later, my arms are numb. I can barely feel them anymore. It's like they've fallen off somewhere. And I'm just covered head to toe with this pulverized uh, mastic. It's become like a fine powder. Meanwhile, I've been sweating profusely. So it's really become like a mud caked onto my body layer by layer by layer. When I finally get home, I, can barely, I can't even turn the doorknob. My hands are so tired. I knock on the door. Andy comes and opens it, and she said I look like an 80-year-old man. All like the wrinkles in my face like, have been exposed, like caked on. My hair is gray. I can barely move. I'm just hunching over. I've never felt dirtier in my entire life. All I could think about was getting to the shower. But as dirty as I felt on the outside, it does not compare to the dirt that we can feel on the inside and in our souls. I mean, if we're truly honest with ourselves, we're unclean and we know it. 
And we use all kinds of things to hide our inner uncleanness. We do it with our relationships, right? We do it with our careers. We do it with clothes and our appearance, maybe with our possessions. We do anything we can so that nobody knows kind of what's going on on the inside of our heart. And we do this with our social media, right? Go to someone's Facebook page. What do you see there? You see the completely edited life. I mean, I'm guilt, just as guilty, right? I don't put up on there me and my worst, right? I put up on there the, per, the pictures I want you to see of our edited lifestyle. And we become dirty because we simply live in a dirty world. You guys ever seen the, uh, the Tough Mudder races? Have you heard about those? I know, Frank, you've done one. Um, they're 10 to 12 mile long races with obstacles, and every course has you slugging through some mud. I mean, it, it, you come out completely drenched. You cannot run that race and stay clean. It's just not possible. And that's what it's like to live life here um, on earth. We live in a dirty world. You cannot run the race of life and come out squeaky clean. And we get dirty by the fact that we live in a dirty world. Sometimes we get dirty because others defile us. Like they bring their dirt into our lives and we get dirty as a result. And then sadly, sometimes we just like to play in the mud. We like to dirty ourselves. And so in today's passage, Mark wants to give us a video clip from the day in the life of Jesus. Now, it's not the full story of Jesus. We're going to work our way through that. But we're going to get to see one episode about Jesus' life. And it's in our passage that we read in Mark uh, 140 through uh, 45. And we're going to see what happens when our dirt and our uncleanness comes into contact with Jesus. And so it begs the question, when, we, when our dirt comes into contact with Jesus, will he get dirty or will we become clean? So let's look, let's jump right into Mark 1 verse 40. It says this, and a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said, if you will, you can make me clean. So a bit of background, since uh, we don't deal a lot with leprosy. I mean, who's the last, when's the last leper that you met? See, leprosy was this big catch-all word that could include a whole range of different diseases, infections, and infestations. It could be in your clothes, it could be in your home, or it could be uh, in your body. And in this case, this man had leprosy um, in his body. It was, it, it was manifesting in this nasty discoloration um, in the skin. And it was highly contagious, and there was no known cure for it at the time. And when I think about how contagious it was, it makes me think about the season we're about to move into in New England with the stomach bug. You know what I'm talking about? It's nasty, right? Like if you've got it, you just need to be quarantined. Do not come around me and my family because we're going to get it. We got it twice last year, right? It's so contagious. I mean, if someone has it, you are going to get it. This leprosy was even more than that. I mean, it was so contagious that uh, you literally had to be exiled outside of the community at large because they couldn't risk a widespread infection. And if the physical condition of leprosy, all the pain and the soreness that happened, if that wasn't enough, you actually became spiritually unclean as well because you were kind of cut off from the family of God. What that meant is that you couldn't approach the temple or the synagogue, and that was really the way in which you were able to uh, have this relationship with God. And so you get this disease, people know it, you know it, and you had to go live outside of the community. You couldn't come in to worship God. And so think about it. That would affect you uh, not only physically, not only spiritually, but if you can't be working inside the town, it affects you economically, right? And it affects you socially because you're living as an outcast. 
people with leprosy were considered untouchable. Think about that. To never experience human touch. Not only that, not only could not people touch you, but think about the judgment that would come. I mean, people assumed if you had leprosy, it's probably because you deserve it. I mean, if you had leprosy, it was like God has judged you for some kind of wicked sin. The idea was that the sin and the rottenness on the inside is now being manifested on the outside. And this was kind of God's just judgment, kind of picturesque judgment of what was going on on the inside. And so when you would see a leper from a distance, you would think, man, I wonder what sin he committed to deserve such judgment. Lepers were victims of far more than just the disease itself. The disease robbed them of their health, their occupation, their lifestyle, their friends, their family, and eventually it would even rob them of their name, right? Because at some point you don't even know their name. You just go, he's a leper. He's a leper. And so to ensure against contact with society, lepers were outlined that they should look disheveled so that nobody would even come near them. And they had to cry out, unclean, unclean, so that you didn't chance coming into contact with them. They literally were considered the walking dead. And if you're thinking zombies right now, that's exactly right. They were considered the walking dead. Curing leprosy was the equivalent of raising someone from the dead. If you had been cured, it was like you'd come back from death itself. Not only was leprosy considered a judgment of God, but it was widespread, wide belief that only God could heal leprosy. You had no other hope except God himself intervening on your behalf. It was a nasty kind of thing. And so I want you to think about the leper in our, uh, in our passage right now. We don't even know his name. To his disease, that his name is no longer relevant. I wonder, when was the last time somebody touched him? When was the last time that he had a dignifying human change of names? When was he thought of something more than just his disease? And what's so sad is that the image of God and his humanity and the dignity that we all share has now been reduced and hidden by his condition. I don't know about you, but if I were him, I'd be crying out to God going, why has this happened to me? So I've slowed down here because I don't want us to get past him. I want us to feel his desperation and need. And so what does this pastor say that this man does, right? He comes to Jesus. He defies the restrictions, right? He's supposed to keep a safe distance from everybody, but he breaks through the religious barricades to confront Jesus, I mean, he's at a point in his life where he can't take the pain anymore. He can't take one more day of living in exile outside of the camp. So what does he have to lose, this guy? He's willing to take a chance that Jesus has both the power and the grace and the compassion to heal him. And so he comes. Look at the verbs that he does. He comes to him. He implores him, and he kneels before him. And he doesn't just ask for healing. He asks for cleansing. He needs to be cleansed from head to toe. And he's willing to seek the cleansing no matter the barrier, no matter the cost. And so what I want you to see before we move on to this next verse is his vulnerability, the utter desperation and the faith of this man to call upon Jesus. Because I'm a pastor, people ask me all the time, hey, what is faith? 
That's kind of one of those words, like, we all pretty much know how to spell it, but it's kind of hard to define, isn't it? So let me define that one for you. This is a picture right here of faith. Total desperation coming to Jesus and saying, I know you have the power. I just want to know, are you willing? The kind of vulnerability that puts himself there. See, this man is, understands who he is and what his needs are. He's willing to be honest with himself, and he is banking on Jesus as his only hope. This man has a deeply rooted trust in Jesus, and this is a great picture of faith for us to follow. Now, one more thing before we move to the next verse. Implicit in this man's request uh, to Jesus is the acknowledgement that he can't cleanse himself. Do you see that? Like, if he could cleanse himself, if he could find any other way, he wouldn't need to risk going to Jesus, would he? He would just gone and taken care of it himself. But he knows that Jesus is his only hope. If he's going to be able to fix, if he had been able to fix himself, he would have not needed to come to Jesus. And so again, I want us to see this as a picture of ourselves. We cannot cleanse ourselves. We need someone else. Have you ever seen a child trying to clean up a, a, a big mess? Like imagine a full bowl of milk and Cheerios just dumped onto the floor, right? Like can the child actually pick it, right? They're just going to smear it around. Best case scenario, they sop it all up, but all the sticky residue is left over. Worst case scenario, it spoils, and that smell is awful. I mean, people say don't cry over spilt milk. I think you should cry over it. Let a child pick that, because that, you just look at that and you go, if we don't take care of this mess, it's not going to go well. That's like us. We cannot cleanse ourselves. And this man has come to the realization and now has this deeply rooted resolve to seek Jesus. And he's driven by the kind of faith that says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. We, friends, we have a leprosy that's not merely skin deep. Every single person in this room, me included, have a sin issue that affects us from head to toe, from skin to soul. It's that, it's that, uh, it's that pervasive awareness that you know things are not the way they're supposed to be. It's that inner dirt that we talked about earlier that we try to hide with all sorts of cover-ups. It's this reality that not only is the world not the way it's supposed to be, but if we're truly honest, neither are we. We continually have hurts and hang-ups and hold-ups, and we can't clean ourselves. And no amount of doing good can scrub us and clean us. You can't wish it away, and it doesn't help to ignore it either. We have to come to the realization that we cannot clean ourselves. And then with that honesty, with that realization, then we're ready to come and seek Jesus with the kind of resolve that this man had who was willing to bank it all on Jesus. Now let's go to the next verse and see what Jesus does. It says this, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. The lingering question for the leper was not did Jesus have the ability, right? He said, if you will, you can make me clean. He just implicitly knew that Jesus could do it. What he wanted to know was, Jesus, are you willing? And Jesus' response to this man is no less scandalous than the audacity of the leper to even approach him. 
And so Jesus speaks to him and he says, I will be clean. And then he touches him. The touch of Jesus speaks far more loudly than his words. And the words of Jesus touch the leper more deeply than any act of human love could possibly do. You see, Jesus is moved with compassion for this man. You see, his nap from this man and say, you cannot touch me. I cannot become unclean. Onlookers seeing this would have been shocked. That it's, it's like watching a train wreck. They're, they're seeing this guy come to Jesus and they're going, this guy shouldn't even be here. What's he doing? Why is Jesus even talking to him? You see, onlookers would have been shocked because to touch the man is to touch death itself. Jesus is risking his purity here. He's risking becoming a leper himself. And when Jesus touches this man, it shows his compassion towards him. And when Jesus commands that the disease flees from him, it shows his authority over over disease and his power to cleanse. What I have found breathtaking in this passage is that the man doesn't even have to give validation or this argument or a case of why Jesus should consider him worthwhile of his time. Did you see that? That He doesn't have to present a case. Jesus just says, yes, of course, I want to enter in to the mud with you. And with a word and a touch, Jesus cleanses the man. Another thing that's captivated me as I've been looking at Jesus this week is that Jesus has the power to heal this man without touching him. We know that from other passages of scripture. Jesus does long distance healings. I mean, there's times where he heals someone towns over and he's like, yeah, it's done, go home. I mean, Jesus has the power to do a drive-by healing right now. He could have said, I can't touch you, but I will heal you. So why is Jesus touching this man? I think he's doing it to make a point that we should not miss. Jesus is willing to get close to our dirt. He's willing to get close to our disease. You see, he is holy and clean, but he's willing to get in the mud. I want you to picture right now a perfectly white linen towel, right? Perfectly white. There's not a blemish uh, of dirt on it. Clean the mud. Can the linen make that mud pure water once again? Of course not. There's no way. The towel gets muddy every single time. The mud isn't even phased. And this is the same principle that's at work in our world. Uncleanness and impurity defile what is clean and pure. Anytime that which is clean comes into contact with that which is dirty, the clean thing becomes dirty. It's a principle we just cannot avoid. If you take something pure and put it in contact with impurities, the pure thing now is no longer pure. But here we see Jesus bringing a taste and a glimpse of his kingdom, his gospel, because he's able to reverse that principle. You see, Jesus is holy and pure, and he's able to touch that which is unclean and make it clean. He is the white linen that can get in the mud and make it pure water. Jesus has both the power to cleanse and the compassion to move towards this man in love. This man had been cut off from the presence of God, and now that he's clean, he's able to come near to God once again. In his leprosy, this man was socially disconnected. He was deprived of relationships And now in his cleansing, he is able to draw near to friends and family and the temple of God. In his leprosy, disease became his name. 
In his cleansing, he becomes a model of faith for us. The leper came to Jesus with honesty and humility about his own condition. And he also had this resolve to seek Jesus no matter what. And Jesus met before coming to Jesus? No. He came in all of his filth and all of his disease right to Jesus. And Jesus was willing to do for him that which he was never able to do on his own. And Jesus gets in the mud with this guy and makes him pure. Let's look at verse 43. Kind of takes a turn here. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Okay, you might be wondering, that seems odd, right? This guy's just been healed, and now Jesus is telling him not to tell anyone and to go to the priest. Okay, here's what's going on. Jesus tells the man not to say anything to anyone. Why not, right? You might be thinking, aren't we supposed to tell the good news about things that have been going on? At this point, Jesus is very early in his career, and he has no interest in becoming a celebrity healer, like some sort of first century televangelist, right? And he knows that if word spreads, hey, this guy can even heal leprosy, what do you think is going to happen? Man, people are going to come in droves and, and really uh, keep Jesus from doing the very things that he's come to do. I mean, he does heal, but that's not the only aspect of his ministry. And he doesn't want people to be confused about his mission because he knows that some people will just come to him for the benefits that he can offer, not actually because they want to follow him. And so Jesus doesn't want there to be all this confusion. Um, and so uh, Jesus never desired for people to be drawn to him simply in hopes of those material benefits uh, to be obtained because what people need most is not merely the healing for the life to come. Okay, now next thing he does is this. He tells them to go to the priest and offer a sacrifice in keeping with the law of Moses. Here's what that means. First of all, the priest had no power to heal. They're really, uh, the, the job of the priest when it comes to leprosy is to really just look at a situation and go, this is clean or this is unclean. They, can't, they, don't ha they cannot summon uh, the gods and, and bring healing. They can just help identify what is clean and what isn't clean. And so when Jesus is saying to this guy, you need to go to the priest so that you can re-enter back into society because you have been cleansed from head to toe. You see, everyone knew that cleansing and healing of leprosy was in God's hands and in his hands alone. And so instructing the man to go to the priest was necessary so that he could be formally and officially declared clean and allowed to enter back into society. You see, Jesus wants to make sure not just that he has his own individual life back, but that he's able to get back to the life. Uh, it's life fully restored back to this man. So he can engage back in with the friendships that he's left behind. He can rejoin with his family. He can show up for Sunday supper. This guy is getting it. He can go and get a job and start living uh, and working and having the dignity that comes with a good, honest day's work. He wants to make sure that he's able to live out this newfound grace in his life. Now let's look at our last verse together. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. 
So Jesus tells him not to tell anybody. What does he do? He goes and tells. So despite Jesus' best efforts to kind of keep this on the down low, the news of what's happened spreads like wildfire. And what happens? Well, the very thing that Jesus was trying to prevent, it says that people, crowds came in in droves for the healing that Jesus could offer. And it really hindered his ability to even come in to a town. And so what, is it, what does it say? It says he has to go out to the desolate places in order to minister. Did you see what Mark is telling us about what just happened? Jesus has traded places with the leper. The beginning of our story starts off with the leper in the desolate places. And Jesus is able to freely move about in the towns. And then after this healing, Jesus is now on the outside and the leper is on the inside of the town. There's been this trading of places with the leper. Do you see that kind of exchange? In relieving the leper of his burdens, now Jesus has received kind of the burden that the leper had. And this is, friends, the very heart of the gospel. It's this exchange. Look at what Paul says. He says it in um, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. He kind of summarizes what's happening in vivid picture for us. Paul says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Whenever the compassionate Christ and the yearning Savior meet, there comes this instantaneous and complete cleansing. And it happens because Jesus is willing to take it on himself. You see, Jesus touched both of the leper's disobedience. He ends up suffering the same fate of the leper. And now Jesus, it says, has to go and minister in unpopulated areas, uh, having people come out to him. You see, though he himself is clean, he suffers as if he were unclean because he touched the one who was unclean and made him clean. It's this exchange. It's hard to imagine a more vivid picture of Jesus suffering under the curse that those who deserve the curse might experience a blessing. Jesus has traded places with the leper. Now, in any story, uh, it's natural for us to find the character in the story that we identify with the most. Let me be really clear. In this story, you aren't Jesus, okay? Now, look, you all look like very nice people, and I bet that you've got all kinds of kindness and compassion in you, and you're like, man, I, I'd be like Jesus. I would go and reach out to the leper, and that might be the case, but you can't help the leper until you've been helped by Jesus. You don't have anything to offer him until you've been cleansed by Jesus. You see, the point of the story is that you and I are the leper and we are unclean. And Jesus is willing to identify with us. He takes on our uncleanness and brings healing. And that's the point. That's the gospel. Remember, I said this is news about something that's been done for you. Jesus trades places with you. In our place for our sin, Jesus is willing to go and take on all of our sin to go to the cross, to put it to death once and for all. He's willing to walk down the road that you and I could never walk down on our own. God made him to be sin who knew no sin. And what do we get in exchange for that? We get the very righteousness of God who looks at us with the perfection of Jesus when we're willing to let Jesus 
go in our place. So how do we respond? A couple points of application. First is honest and honest, uh, honesty and vulnerability. So if you're taking notes, that, that, those are two big values for us that we've got to walk away with today. The leper didn't try to hide who he was, did he? He didn't try to hide his uncleanness and cleanliness. He was willing to be honest about his condition, and we need to as well. It's wildly unpopular for us to even admit that we have problems, that we have sin, that we've got dirtiness. But friends, we've got to be honest. And this is personally convicting for me because I struggle with trying to look like on the outside that I have it all. There's this deeply felt belief in me that I want you to think that I've got my life all together, that my kids obey things that I want them to obey, that that I don't make mistakes. I want you to think, man, look at what happens when you follow Jesus. But guess what? I'm a broke down man just like the rest of you. I struggle with the same things you struggle with. We've got to be honest about where we are instead of trying to sweep it under the rug. You can bring others into this as well. And so it's not just being honest about our own sin, but it's also being a safe place for others to be honest about theirs as well. And this is why we have our gospel communities. They become these safe places where we can do life on life together. They're a place for us to be known and to know others because life together is better than life apart. It's where we can be real and journey together. And our gospel communities are open for both believer and unbeliever. There, there's, not a, there's not a barrier to this church that you can't investigate and come and explore where we can be known and know each other. We are all works in process. We are all works in progress. And our life is one of continual repentance where we come before God with honesty and vulnerability. Probably my favorite word in this whole passage is the word touched. And it's also the most uncomfortable word, right? Because we don't like to be touched. We almost do everything we can to kind of keep distance from each other. We have to let our guard down. We have to let people in. It's an active thing, not a passive thing. Second response is faith in Jesus. We've got to have faith that Jesus can actually do what he's promised to do. This is that kind of trust that anchors your life. You see, A lot of people think, I don't have trust in something. Every one of us has a life-directing, life-anchoring trust. So where is it? Is it in other people? Is that where your trust is? Is it in your own abilities? Is it in your achievements? Is it in your possessions? Most often the case I find in our culture, our deepest trust is in ourselves. But we let ourselves down. Everything in our society is set around to keep you from asking that question of where you put your, uh, your faith and your trust. We are a very distracted society. We have everything at our disposal to fill every moment of quiet with some kind of noise so that we never have to do the hard work of reflection and consider life's most uh, fundamental questions. And so if we're honest with ourselves, you would know that you need to find cleansing, you need to find forgiveness, and real relationship with the God who made you. Every single person has that deeply rooted desire. The question is, do we ever find quiet places where we can really reflect on that? Have faith in Christ. The third thing is this, touching the untouchable. So from a place of faith, if you're like, well, how I'm there. God has brought healing into my life. He has brought cleansing into my life. How, how, what do I do with that? 
Well, just like Jesus, this is where you get to identify with Jesus, who was willing to touch the untouchables. We go out into our community to touch those who our society might not want to touch, right? Now, the order is very important. Remember, you can't bring healing and grace to someone if you've not experienced that yourself. But from a place of faith, we can go out and serve um, people in our community. There's a couple places that we've been serving with um, here in Waltham that I would totally commend to you. The first is the Community Day Center. If you've got a heart for uh, the homeless population, um, Waltham has a, a pretty large homeless population, and they're a great organization that's always looking for people to help serve meals um, and to offer services to uh, the homeless. Uh, as I was thinking about who are kind of the untouchables of our society today, uh, man, they're, they're kind of the unnoticeable. Like, we just, we just don't even want to notice them. But they have the very same dignity and humanity um, that we do. And so if you're looking to get involved in that, I would commend to you the Community Day Center. Um, the second is um, right here in the Waltham Boys and Girls Club. They have an amazing um, program for, uh, for, for, our, uh, for youth in Waltham. They've actually got one of their staff members here um, today. They're always looking for more. I mean, you need volunteers, right? Here's a shameless plug for you, okay? Um, they're always needing more people to help. I mean, I can't think about a better place to invest your time into the um, right here in our um, community. And the last thing I would say is in our gospel communities. Every one of our gospel communities not only is a place for community, but it is also a place for mission. And so as we've got our gospel communities situated around uh, various parts of the city, they all have a focus on going Who is it that God is leading us to serve and bless in the immediate spaces um, right around us? And so if you're disconnected from um, a gospel community, I would love to tell you more about those um, at the end of our gathering um, today. Jesus had compassion on the leper and was willing to cleanse him. And not only that, he was willing to touch him and restore to him his humanity and cleanse him even deeper than his leprosy. Man got way more than he bargained for. Jesus was willing to trade places with the leper, and he's willing to do the same for you and me. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you that uh, you're willing to to send your son at cost to yourself, that he would get down and get in the mud with us. And so thank you, Jesus, that you are willing to trade places with us, that we don't have to clean ourselves up before coming to you. Thank you for that grace. And so, Father, I pray um, that all of us would would do the hard work and the quiet spaces of of becoming um, real and honest about where we are. And God, I pray in those muddy, dirty places, in those quiet nights of the soul, that you would meet us there, and that you would do the work of cleansing. And so we trust you for that. Lord, I pray um, that we would all walk out here um, more in love with uh, with Jesus and, and more clear about who he is and that he was willing to trade places with us. And so I pray that you would um, give us the, the faith that we need to believe that. In Christ's name we pray.